Good morning, my friends, and welcome to yet another incredible installment of Weekend Update. From very high above all other puerile and insipid forms of Wyoming mainstream media, this is Cowboy State Politics. I, of course, am your illustrious host, David Iverson, firmly ensconced behind the silver Cowboy State Politics microphone and broadcasting to you from our remote studio in Sheridan, Wyoming. Good morning, my friends, and welcome to the program. Government by its very nature does not produce anything but more government. It consumes. Government takes money in the form of taxes and then spends it on what they call essential services. Most of us think of those essential services as police, the fire department, water and sewer, and of course, road and bridge. The salaries of all of those who are tasked with executing those essential services continue to increase typically way more than their counterparts in the private sector. All of those things are consumptory. There are portions of our government that should actually turn a profit. A couple of those are statutorily mandated to the dump and the water system. And if they are managed correctly, they will. Granted, you don't want those entities turning a giant profit, but operating in the black is mandatory. And though we don't think about it very often, in Wyoming, one giant piece of the government is the county fairgrounds. Lots of buildings, a huge arena, and giant grandstands, all of which have to be maintained, you know, for public safety so that you can hold big events out there. Supposedly, for a nominal fee, a family can go to the county fair and rodeo for an entire weekend and entertain themselves to no end. Think about the big ones in Wyoming. Of course, there's Cheyenne Frontier Days, the big daddy of them all, and then there's the Sheridan Wyo Rodeo. Not a single politician with any brains would miss that one. Or the world-famous Cody Stampede. Those are just a couple of the big ones, but each and every county in Wyoming has their own version of their county fair and rodeo, a summertime extravaganza. They all vary in size and scope, but one thing is for certain— It's a giant potential moneymaker for each and every Wyoming county. Or at least they should be. If you're not turning a profit, it means you can't improve the facilities that you have. You can't make them bigger and better to accommodate more and more people and thus to sell more and more tickets to get people interested to come out to the fairgrounds and watch the next Chris Ledoux or enjoy a concert or have a hot dog. And don't forget the cotton candy, a staple of any county fair and rodeo. All of those things generate revenue, or at least they should. And if they don't, you're doing it wrong. All business enterprises, whether it be the service industry, a retail outlet, or if you put on public events, generate cash flow and thus revenue. And if they're not operating in the black, that is, turning a profit, then they're unable to expand. They can't improve the facilities and equipment that they have, Take my small business, for example. If I'm not making money, that means I can't buy new equipment. I can't build a new studio and improve the service I provide to you. And because all equipment ages, it doesn't really matter what it is, whether it's a microphone or a grandstand, eventually it will wear out and you won't be able to provide that service anymore. So you have to make money. And if you don't, the service you offer or the facilities you provide start to suck and pretty much nobody will want them anymore. 
There is at least one Wyoming Fair and Rodeo that loses money. And if you look at the condition of their facilities, it's clear that they have been for quite some time. Last year, the Johnson County Fair and Rodeo, as a single event, lost in excess of $15,000. If that event was entirely self-funded, then we might understand, but it's not. In fiscal year 2022, the Johnson County Fair and Rodeo Board received around $418,000 of your money. It's the biggest yearly event in the county. It's highly subsidized by you. Most of the facilities at the fairgrounds, to be charitable, are in a complete state of disrepair. And to top it all off, the Fair and Rodeo loses money. I have some audio of one of the Johnson County Fair and Rodeo board members speaking before the Johnson County Commissioners. She was questioned by one of the members of the audience as to why they don't make money. Her response is, well, frankly absolutely unbelievable. And I was going to play some of that audio for you this morning, but the more I listen to it, I realize that it really deserves its own full episode. So we're going to do that on Monday. For this morning's program, I have a special presentation for you. I got together representatives Rachel Rodriguez-Williams, Mark Jennings, and Ken Pendergraft to talk about a number of things that have been in, that have been in the news the last couple of weeks. So we'll do that after the break. But first, an absolutely outrageous profit timeout. This installment of Weekend Update is brought to you by New Trend Hats. It's finally summer here in Wyoming, which means that you really don't want the sun beating down on that pretty face of yours. You should go to NewTrendHats.com and get you a new hat to prevent a very uncomfortable sunburn. They have a wide selection of hats for both men and women. They make that really cool baseball cap with the ponytail hole on the back of them. They have a lot of different kinds of hats, and you're sure to find one to fit your particular style. So go to NewTrendHats.com and protect that pretty, pretty face. Yes, my friends, we have arrived at another Saturday morning. And you know what I always think about when I'm up doing this episode for you. Hot wings. Hot wings from the Wing It food truck. They make the most incredible wings in the state of Wyoming. And it's not just hot wings. They have several other different flavors. I personally recommend the garlic Parmesan wings. They're absolutely incredible. Now, the way that you can figure out where that truck is going to be is go to their Facebook page, the Wing It food truck, and they've usually got their schedule posted there. Or you can go to CowboysStatePolitics.com and look underneath the Sponsors tab. That way, you can plan your entire week around where that truck is going to be. That's the Wing It Food Truck. Morton Buildings is Wyoming's expert in metal building construction. It doesn't matter if you're thinking about an outbuilding or a garage or a roping arena or maybe a huge warehouse for your business. Nick and Jesse at Morton Buildings are the two guys to talk to. Their phone number is 307-674-2532, or you can check them out on their website at mortonbuildings.com. New episodes of the program are published every Monday, Wednesday, and Saturday morning. And don't forget about the Thursday live episode, which begins every Thursday at 10 a.m. You can find the link at CowboyStatePolitics.com or on the Cowboy State Politics Facebook page. And now, back to our program.
There's been a lot of things in the news the past couple weeks. One of the biggest ones that's created a lot of controversy, among sportsmen that is, is this shooting complex that the legislature decided to spend $10 million on. It's a lot more complicated than just a giant shooting range, and there's a lot more that goes into it than the legislature just wanting to blow $10 bucks. There's been a lot of op-eds. In fact, there was one on the cow pie yesterday or the day before claiming that this is not the proper role of government. And I kind of agree with him. So to get some perspective on this whole thing, I caught up with Representative Mark Jennings, Rachel Rodriguez-Williams, and Ken Pendergraft to ask them about it. Here's our conversation. We talked about the shooting complex and a lot more. I'm joined today by Representative Ken Pendergraft, Mark Jennings, and Rachel Rodriguez-Williams. Welcome to the program, guys. Howdy, Dave. Hey, glad to be on. Thanks for having us, David. So first question, Rachel, what are you doing in our neck of the woods? Music camp. Music camp? And who are you, by the way? Jace Williams. So we've also got Rachel's son, Jace, in the room. Welcome to the program, Jace. Hello. Guys, I have been paying attention to the news lately, and I have to say, you all have some splaining to do. Big time. What is up with this sports shooting complex? I thought y'all, y'all were a bunch of conservatives. Jennings, explain away. Well, <clears throat> I'm happy to do that. By and large, all of the conservatives that I know of would be opposed to the government spending of something like this. The problem with it is, is that we weren't able to stop the lodging tax a couple of years back. And they accumulated something like $34 million in the first year above, above budget. And so from a conservative point of view, they have a habit of funding a lot of uh, very liberal arts, very liberal thinking uh, programs. And so this was just an idea of, of trying to funnel some of that money into a, a complex, into a shooting sport that brings Lots of money into the state of Wyoming. It brings lots of um, industry that comes along with that and uh, gets a chance to look at the at our beautiful state. Maybe they'd like to uh, reside and bring some of their uh, their guns and ammunition factories our way. Now, Ken, I've been hearing all week long about us spending $10 million on a shooting complex and how it's just an absolute waste of money. Now, both you and Rachel voted for it, so I want to get both your thoughts on it. So go ahead, Ken. Well, one of the things that I said on the House floor was I said, you don't have my vote unless we include the idea that this exploratory committee was going to go out and look for potential sponsors like we have, for example, in Denver, they have a football stadium, and I forget what it's called this week, but they sell the naming rights. And my idea was that, number one, this money's already spent. If, if we don't spend it here, they're going to spend it on some cultural mamby-pamby, whatever it is it's going to be, and this is something we're not going to like. That's a lame excuse, I realize, but it's true. The money's already going to be spent. At least in this way, we're diverting some of those funds away from something like another drag queen show. I'm okay with that, but I thought if you have this exploratory committee and they actually will do the work to go out and 
seek out corporate people who would finance this thing and then take it over, and then it doesn't actually become an expense of the state. It might be a, a more worthwhile investment. I will say that we have to vote on it again. And when they bring the proposal back and they say we're going to take $5 million out of the general fund and $2.5 million out of the Game and Fish and $2.5 million from whomever, Parks and Rec or whoever it is, at this point, from what I've heard from the committee, I'm disinclined to acquiesce. So what exactly is this thing, Rachel? I mean, is it just a, a giant $10 million shooting range or is there something more to it? So none of us are appointed to the select committee. Well, there's a giant surprise. And yes, I did support it. So I'm obviously from Park County, and we have several firearm manufacturers and uh, firearm accessory manufacturers uh, within Park County. And the way I look at it is Wyoming is a gun-friendly state. And we need to keep it that way. And so over the years, we've uh, passed legislation uh, to make Wyoming a more firearm-friendly state. Um, we, I think it was one or two sessions ago, passed the, um, the discrimination um, bill. So basically, banks cannot discriminate against the firearm industry um, when it comes to loans, credit card processing, et cetera, um, they can't. That's against against state law now. And um, there's remedies for that if, if they were to do that. And so I think we're, we're taking lots of really good steps um, as a state to, to really invite manufacturers and um, create a culture where we can have a, a future workforce to sustain the the firearm industry. Okay. And so when I look at it, big picture, um, and, and further, uh, upstream, I can tell you in Park County, these companies are thriving, um, and they're a huge asset to our community. So I've got a son that um, participates in 4-H shooting sports and, these companies sponsor those types of events um, that take place in, in Park County, and they invest money into the community. Um, and so if we, if we continue to, um, to sustain that culture, I, I think the future of Wyoming is going to look really good because it's a, an industry that's booming. Um, and when I look at a, a top-of-the-line complex – um, where you have professional shooters coming out, coming to Wyoming. They're coming with their families. They're going to stay in hotels. They're going to um, eat in our restaurants. Uh, whatever lucky community this, this, um, this complex is built in is, is going to benefit from it. But furthermore, Wyoming is going to benefit from it. So um, we're just getting it started. I can tell you $10 million is a drop in the bucket. Um, but like Representative Pendergraf just said, the legislature has to approve it. So the job of that, that committee is to basically explore, um, come up with an RFP, and um, really just kind of do the groundwork to present to the body at large. So, Mark, it, it took you a, several attempts. Are you saying you're sold? Well, I don't know. I'm kind of on the fence. That's why we're talking about it. 
at first it sounded to me like you're just building this $10 million shooting range. And, you know, there are two shooting ranges in Buffalo, and you go out there any time of the, any time of the week, and maybe there's three or four people there. So is that what we're talking about? It's no. just a shooting range, or is this something else? I mean, no. explain it to no, people. No, this is, this is more of a world-class shooting. Um, or if, if you'd uh, compare it to something like the governor's match or something of that nature that brings people from all over the country, this actually will, is more likely to bring people from all over the world. It's that type of a, that level of a shooting complex. So there would be a lot of opportunity there. Selling you or anyone else on this idea from the standpoint that we want government involved, I don't think any of us conservatives would have that as our preferred methodology for funding something like this. But we also know that, um, you know, when we pass that lodging tax, boy, we stole a lot of money from people, sometimes visitors, lots of times Wyoming citizens. And so since we've done that, um, you know, I've, I've listened in my nine years, I've listened to every idea that you can imagine. You, you can go on to school facilities committees, you can go on to um, state parks, and it, it, we're flush with money. And so the real problem for conservatives in that is what, how do we divert some of this money that goes into just foolish things? There's just there's just a tremendous amount of money. And so the shooting sports is something that if we're not very, very careful, we can lose in this country. And so we should do everything that we can to try and help out. While it's not funded the way that I'd like to see it, um, I'm, I am on board for diverting that money. Because when we put that tax in place, the tourist board basically gets to pick and choose where they'd like to spend that money unless the legislature intervenes. And so this is a place that I think I'd much rather see our money go into this than many of the other things. Like a butterfly museum? Yeah. Yeah, that's a a good example. (laughs) Okay, you can't can't leave it there. What is this butterfly museum? (laughs) I'm just thinking of numerous projects that um, come out of cultural arts and, and so forth. And so when when I think about state money being funded, we, we're Wyoming. I mean, we value the Second Amendment. And right now, when you look at what the federal government is trying to do across our nation, why shouldn't Wyoming stand up and take a stance and say, no, look, this is this is Wyoming. Um, this can bring in a ton of revenue for the state. And it's it's something that we value and that we cherish and that you really can't uh, sustain anywhere else. I mean, you guys are all from Sheridan. Well, I Weather, know. Weatherby, <laughs> yeah, Weatherby moved over from, from the West Coast for, for a reason. And, uh, and they're thriving here, here in uh, Sheridan. And so, you know, I think the it's it's just starting and it's going to evolve more and so why why not create a a strong culture and an environment that um, really helps the industry. I I agree with everything you just said, Rachel. My problem is that when I spoke up and got elected, I I said 
smaller government, lower taxes. And apparently that's just campaign rhetoric, and, and that'll get you in trouble if you happen to mention something like that at a committee meeting. I really struggle, and I'm sure that you're, if, you know, conservatives listen to the show, what business is it of governments to be involved in a thing like this? If this is a great deal, if this is going to generate income and stuff, we ought to have corporate people lining up. We ought to have people, if it's worth doing, they'll do it, and they'll do it better and more efficiently than a government will. And so I guess that's why I was really holding out for if, if you can find corporate sponsors like Weatherby or somebody else to get behind this and finance it and oversee it, and then quietly the state can step back out of it, then, then I see that as, I, I see it as a possibility of, of where it makes sense. I'm, I'm not a big fan of uh, economic development concepts, but to Mark's point earlier, the money's already spent. It's already stolen. Yes, thank you. <laughs> and, and we're just trying to, to determine where to spend some of it. And, and I think the conservatives across the board would agree with that sentiment that uh, we would prefer that government not be involved. But in government, until we have enough conservatives in, in those seats to say, no, we're going to downsize government, and, and is this really a role of government? And there's, and you can make the argument. I won't fight very hard on it that that uh, that government is should not be involved in something like a shooting complex. But the issue is, is that look at how many things they are involved in that they're not supposed to be. And the economic development is picking winners and losers. And so it's, you know, it's it's not what I would prefer. But when you're flush with money and they're determined to spend that on, like Rachel says, a butterfly <laughs> museum or, or some some interpretive, I mean, just just wild things. Just go back through your your budgets and look and see where we spend money. It, it, it will turn your, your stomach. And we can say, well, okay, we should just vote no on that. But the fact is, is we don't have enough votes to stop them from spending it on foolish things. And so here's something that you know, down the road, my goal would be to to downsize government. Um, I'm not saying there's not things that we shouldn't take care of because there are, certainly we should. But um, at this point in the game, it's a choice of of uh, do you want it to continue going? Go back and look and see. One time, I ran an amendment to uh, cut the cultural. Uh, art budget by some little tiny amount. It was like 50000 out of an extra couple of million dollars that they were going to get. And uh, they just went berserk on that. And you go back and see where where they fund what they fund. And so this is, this is a thing that I feel like it is worthwhile that we should funnel that money into a very good industry. And um, I'm not saying it's a permanent solution for government at all. And when we have uh, 32 votes, it, those conservative decisions may look a little different than they do now. Now, that's an interesting segue, Mark. You said you need 32 votes, but I've been hearing for two weeks that the Freedom Caucus was able to foul up every attempt to fix property taxes. So, Mark, 
Why are you guys screwing up all this property taxes? Well, they have the votes. That's that's really not a true statement at all. Um, we've brought cap bills. We've brought acquisition. I brought acquisition bill. We've brought uh, property tax holidays um, to return money. Um, and the truth of the matter is, is they have uh, 31 votes plus five Democrats, and they vote lockstep. And so the 26 conservatives have not flubbed those up. Now, I will say this. They've kind of uh, tried to point out the truth that um, that what they're trying to do is rearrange the marbles. They're not trying to um, they're not trying to do anything of real reform. They're they're handing back pennies on the dollars of what they've taken property tax wise. And the conservatives really want to hold out and say, hey, look, we we think that this is time to do actual reform so that our citizens are not seeing 30, 40, 50 percent increases every year. And and let's face it, when you last year we took an extra five hundred million dollars in property tax above what we normally got what we stole from the year before that that much more and then we turned around and put what was it 1.4 billion in savings or you know it, i mean it doesn't make sense we we didn't need to steal that 500 million dollars we we should have given it back yeah and of that money the 1.4 billion they put in savings they only put half of that where they can't get it the other yeah. part they can dip into anytime they wish and they will wish soon enough I want to get to that in in just a second, Ken. But I want to I want to give you a chance to respond because I'm honestly for two weeks I've been hearing how it's been the Freedom Caucus and the conservatives that stopped their every attempt to to fix property taxes. So I wanted to give give all three of you a chance to respond to that because quite frankly, guys, I find that remark at the very least insulting and at the very most just plain dishonest. It's patently so offensive. They had the entire session to do something. They had the majority. They could have done anything they wanted. We had 21 bills offering all sorts of opportunities. And they, most of them, frankly, never got out of committees. Or if they did, the Speaker of the House sat on them and, and didn't bring them up. The one that were accused of foiling was, quite frankly, it was a lie. It was government picking winners and losers. It was unequal. And so that was um, uh, Joint Resolution 2, right? Yeah, it was Do Dan, Senator Dockstetter's Joint Resolution Well, the ones, that was hijacked by the Democrats. Yeah, there's, there's that one, but there's one specifically that we never got to because we voted with the Democrats to shut down on the last day of the Committee of the Whole. And I don't remember exactly the details of what that bill would done, but I do remember that it was unequal. And one of the primary principles about tax is if you're going to tax one you tax everybody it has to be fair it has There's to be exemptions even. for the poor and the and yeah. the elderly yeah well, that's how it started anyway re regardless of that they had the entire session they could have done anything they wanted to do uh the revenue committee the house revenue committee specifically buried and killed a number of bills the speaker of the house killed a, a number of bills that could have been of some use and here we were at the last day of the committee of the whole and looming in the horizon is a bill for Medicaid expansion. We had an opportunity. We had the cooperation with some of the Democrats who agreed to vote with us just to 
to stop discussion, which effectively killed all the bills at the bottom of the, of the list. And we killed Medicaid expansion. That, to me, was a tremendous victory, especially for a minority to be able to do that. The fact that they could turn that around and try to use it against us and say we killed property tax reform is disingenuous at best. Go for it, Rachel. So when I was elected in 2020, property taxes was one of the top issues for my constituents. Nobody wants to talk about it. The truth. But you've done a great job, David, the past couple of podcasts. I've listened to Representative John Baer on your show. I've read some of your letters to the editor of really exposing the truth. And I can tell you that for my district... I've been educating my constituents since 2020 on every single bill that's been run and how I have voted. So I can tell you that the folks in Park County are not buying the lies that are being spread by other representatives outside of my district infiltrating our media outlets in Park County. They're not buying it. But the reality is, is you don't get to pee in my backyard and get away with it. And that's what's happening. You have representatives serving other districts that are writing op-eds in other people's backyards and not telling the truth. And so it puts us in a position to rebuttal, obviously. Um, but the people of Wyoming are not ignorant. They're not. All you have to do is look at voting records. And it speaks volumes. Everything is on YouTube now. Anybody can pull up the, the date and the timestamp and watch testimony of lobbyists and the representatives to see what they say about each of these bills, if they testify to them. And so the truth is out there. You can't sit there and spread lies and they, not get called out on it. They used to be able to do that. They, they, there was never any pushback. And now they've gotten to the point where we have organizations like the wonderful gals here in Sheridan County that are watching everything. And it's, it's getting more difficult. So that's what we need is we need more involvement. Um, I've said several times that the biggest threat to Wyoming and, and liberty is apathy. And we're seeing that turn around in a big way. The last revenue committee meeting that was held here in Sheridan, there was over, what, 70, 80 attendees early in the morning. There, well, there was a, a lot hundred. more there. Than right. Well over and I can tell you that several folks from Park County came over. They spent the time away from work. They spent the money. They had to get a hotel room. They paid for fuel to come over and testify in front of a committee that they knew they weren't going to get any draft bills from they they weren't looking very you know optimistically when they came into the meeting but they wanted to be heard that's what the people want they want to be heard and they want reform and i i heard them i stood out in the lobby with several of them and i had an opportunity to speak and i spoke i was rebuked for that i was chastised for that but I would do it again in a heartbeat because I was speaking not only for the people that elected me, but for the people that elected you. And I got several emails from your folks in Park County thanking me. Good. Good. Well, and, and I, I'm going to give a, an extra, I'm going to tag on with that about what you do, David, because 
Um, it's very important that if we're going to win this apathy, people have to be informed. And you've done a very good job of that. I mean, there's always there's always places. Um, I served on that revenue committee, and so uh, you know, people people that don't go back and watch that don't realize that the store bill was actually the Mike Yen bill that um, Chuck Gray and myself actually had amended to put a 5% cap on. When the speaker got a hold of that, they, they dropped that bill. They held on to it, and the chairman of uh, Revenue, they rewrite that, and they let Sto- uh, Liz Storer come back with Yen's bill minus the 5% cap. And we're the ones that's, you know, being called out that we're not uh, we're not wanting to work on real reform. Well, that we're killing stuff. Listen, that fourth classification, what it will do is it'll it will in the end give them more opportunity to manipulate and raise your taxes. Now, Barry Crago says that if nobody's going to do that, because you know, if if they manipulated taxes, then then they'd get unelected. Then well. Representative Crago is right. In the first, the first year or two, that's correct. They won't. But down the road, after the fire has died out and no one's paying attention, then they will do it. I, I can almost promise you I've listened to the debates far too many times. And I've watched uh, the chairman of revenue just uh, battle any reform whatsoever. The other, the other thing that they're going to do is, in their mind, if you— Give the taxpayers a break. You have to make up for it somewhere. You got to charge it somewhere else. So they're going to look at these four classifications of real estate, and they're going to bump it up on those other classifications to make up the difference. The, the chairman of revenue flat out promised that. Yeah. And so then what happens is now it's just a hidden tax. It's a less direct tax, and everybody loses. Well, see, that's that's the big fallacy that they that they tell everybody. Well, if you decrease taxes over here, you have to increase revenue over there, and that's just not true. If you Stop the stupid spending. spending. Yes, reduce well, spending. Did you hear the choir there? <laughs> exactly. Reduce spending. So that's yeah. that's one more one more topic I wanted to touch on briefly, because there's so much focus on property taxes and how the, how all of these bills ended up. And nobody is talking about how much money was spent. And, you know, I sat in the gallery and watched. I mean, I was there for every single day. And I watched you guys vote no on, um, I don't know, 80-some amendments. Maybe maybe that was just the first day. Just tell me, like, how much money did we actually spend? I mean, what does that mean to normal people like me? Mark? I don't have those figures directly in front of me, but I can promise you it's too much. You can't we even still fathom. <laughs> yeah, it, it's m- hundreds of millions. Comes down to conversation about what is the appropriate role of government. Yeah, that's right. You know, when you and I have to budget at home and reduce spending, write less checks because of inflation. The state of Wyoming should be having the same conversation, and especially with a supermajority of Republicans in the legislature. Well, you know you're not going to get that by me. We don't have a supermajority of Republicans. My 83-year-old neighbor lady went back to work one or two days out out of the week waiting on tables. And the reason is because the landlords um, raised her rent. 
because of property taxes was was the given reason. And think about that. At 83 years of age, she's going back to wait tables so that they can continue to spend at the levels that they want to spend at. And they're not even having those discussions. My property taxes, my home insurance... Three years ago, I refinanced the house to take advantage of some 2% money, and I'm glad I did. And at that point, my house payment was $1,200 a month, roughly. Today, it's 16 The difference is three years of property tax increases and insurance increases due to inflation. And so we are sitting here. We're the ones that are asked to support this, that, the other thing. We have to give more because the government can't possibly cut their budget. And that's what's asinine is all of the people out there have to cut their budgets, especially those on fixed incomes. They have to cut their budgets, but we can't find it within ourselves to cut out funding for butterfly museums or whatever the hell else we're doing. In nine years, I have never seen the savings come back from an efficiency in government. Not one. I've had them come back and say, oh, this saved us some money. But immediately they have five other places they want to spend that. And not once have I in nine years seen that efficiency come back to the to the taxpayers. And I just find that repulsive. So how do they do that, Ken? You mentioned it earlier. So they, they put $1.4 billion in savings. What yeah. does that actually mean? They, they put $1.4 billion in savings, and from that they will derive a certain amount of income, which comes to about $65 million a year. Oh, that's kind of cool. Now we've got $65 million a year that we could spend on something. Depending so, upon the market. Yeah, yeah. There are a lot of dependings upon yeah. that, but this is just a general principle. It's like, it's like you get a $65 a month raise, and you feel good about that, so you go out and rack up your credit card and spend another $65 a month. At the same time, your significant other goes out and does the same thing on theirs. You just went back. And that's what they did, is they went out in perpetuity and spent another $120 million over the new $65 million in income. And then they go, they have the courage, if you want to use that term, because I can think of some others, to come in front of people and say, we saved $1.4 billion. Look how fiscally responsible we are. And it's a lie. Rachel? So this was a supplemental budget. Supplemental. The state's already funded for the biennium. When I think of supplemental budget, I think of emergency situations. Situations where we have a roof caving in, where we have... um, any sort of hazardous situation that we need to fix or an emerging threat or a, a pandemic or a, um, a problem that it's government's responsibility to step in and fix. I think of public safety. We have a fentanyl problem. We have an open border right now and fentanyl trickling in like no other into states. I don't know states. if trickle is the right word. Flooding. Trafficking. Trafficking. We have issues like that where we have to look at public safety, assess it, and decide as a as the, the good stewards of, of the state finances whether or not we need to fund something. Okay. So when we look at the proper role of government 
and how we spend our money, those are the things that we should be looking at when it comes to a supplemental budget. Not increasing government through new projects, um, new endeavors, um, new positions, new, new employees, new employees, <laughs> yeah. etc. That's that's the role. That's that's what we need to look at when it comes to a supplemental budget. But then again, I I'm looking through a lens of a of a conservative, and and not everybody wears those glasses. And so uh, we do need another good election. That's interesting. You know, not everybody wears those glasses. Some people wear shades because they make them look cool. And they want you to think that they're cool. And the rest of us, like myself, I, I can't see out the front yard. So I wear glasses for a reason. I guess that's my analogy. That's, that's a conservative. <laughs> We're all blind. <laughs> so the last thing I wanted to talk about is interim committees. I mean, you see it mentioned in news, news articles all the time, and everybody is working furiously in their interim committees. So um, I really haven't been paying attention to it. So I just wanted to go around the room and just get your perspectives on these interim committees. And we'll start with Rachel. So David, I am only assigned to one standing committee, and that's judiciary. Um, it's been a while since we've met. I think the last time was in Sheridan. Uh, we didn't vote on anything. We basically just requested bill drafts and, and white papers and a few research um, items from LSO. Uh, the next time we meet is until September, the end of September. And um, I'm currently not assigned to any select committees either. What about you, Mark? That's a typical thing amongst the conservatives and, and even the few that are given select committees. So there's three things that you're talking about there. Standing committees, the, the 10 committees that are legislatively, statutorily, and then there are select committees and there are uh, several dozen of those. And the conservatives very much do not have, uh, they have very little say. I'm not on select committee. I'm not, and I've been on very few select committees in nine years. And so you'll find that there's a very much a, a holding conservatives off of those things. And those select committees are important, things like school facilities. They're the ones that make recommendations back to a home standing committee. And so um, you will find, if you pay attention to select committees, the interim work is standing and select committees. Both of those happen during the when you're out of session, and so I'm on judiciary also with Rachel, and um, again we'll meet in September. So you 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 really haven't done anything either, then, Ken? Have you done anything on committees? A little bit, but let me tell you the dirty little secret about committees and and why they're set up the way they are. The leadership of the House, specifically under the leadership of the Speaker of the House, chooses who's in charge of these committees. They already have an agenda. These committees are stacked in such a way that they absorb as many conservatives as they can, and yet we never have an advantage to where we can win a vote. The culture in the House of Representatives is that once a committee passes a resolution or, or, or gets a bill written, a bill draft. When you come out of committee, you're not supposed to contradict or go against that committee. 
you're supposed to come out unanimously together and say the committee recommends this. So the purpose here is to squelch dissent and to squelch the conservative idea. And it's rigged to the hilt. You have a number of people who have four, five, six committees, all kinds of different responsibilities, not to mention the fact that that you get paid for every committee meeting you go to and you start adding it all up and you say, some of those people are doing really well. Most of the conservatives serve on one standing committee and a few of us are put on select committees and usually the conservatives are put on select committees that really don't accomplish anything. But you look at a committee like appropriations. You look at appropriations, there are no conservatives there. Virtually. It's stacked. Well, and the, the committee meetings that I watched during the during the session, it was very rare that the conservatives were able to kill anything. And I mean it was only on like marginal bills that were probably yeah. pretty crazy anyway. So you would get at least one but of the when liberals. You couple that with the culture that you're going to be chastised, you're going to be knocked down, you're going to be held off of other committees. If you come out and oppose, even if you opposed it in committee, once it passes committee, you are not supposed to oppose it on the floor or you're a rebel. Fortunately, I've never had that problem. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) So last thing then, and the Commission on Free Speech has come out with their report at the University of Wyoming. Did you guys hear what they uh, what what they pretty much decided? No, no, blissfully ignorant. So educate far. us. They're going to come up with a thought police. Hate crimes? Yeah, well, no. See, they're going to put up put together a whole group, and they're going to let that group to decide what is constructive speech and what is not constructive speech. Constructive according to whose paradigm? Has the never... Supreme Court already dealt with that? Have they not heard of the First Amendment? Evidently not. And really, it was a study in squelching dissent that, you know, if you if you speak out against the, the university's orthodoxy, then you, they've got to find a way to shut you up. And it's the, their report has a number of recommendations. And you guys should all read it because it's it's a fascinating read. That that revenue committee was exactly what you're talking about. The public came in there, was basically ignored far beyond the time when public testimony was supposed to occur. Most of them had to give up and leave, especially the folks that Rachel uh, mentioned from Park County. I happened to have the day off, so I took the opportunity to do what I believe I'm paid to do which is to go up and represent the people. And I started speaking. The House applauded. And immediately I was told, you're going to have to get to the point. It seems that if you talk about cutting revenue and making smaller government, that's just campaign rhetoric. And a committee meeting... That's an exact quote, by the way. Yeah, it is. ...is not a place for campaign rhetoric. This is where we govern i.e. spend. That's the mentality that exists there. That's the mentality that we are fighting and that we will continue to fight. And I hope I get reelected because I want to keep fighting. But that's not why I'm here. I don't care. You use the word squelching. And it reminded me of the word screeching 
Yes. That now was used an in an story. article uh, recently uh, where Senator Steinmetz was featured. And uh, it yeah, was a response to her letter that went to the governor. Yep, that was the governor's text message he or, sent her. Yeah, yeah, the text message, yeah. yeah. An un- unimaginable caterwauling is what he called it. God forbid you should actually go by the planks in the Republican Party. Mark, you look look like you're deep in thought over there. Oh, I, I, I've uh, seen this for nine years. And these, these people are getting shriller and shriller because the number of conservatives is getting larger. And... Uh, and hopefully the people will will continue to do that and put more conservatives in there and, and we can return government to what it was intended to be. The people of Wyoming are charged. Yeah. They do not want to become Colorado or California. You see the influx of, of residents coming into the state and they're fleeing other states for one reason, liberalism. I've got a stack of uh, bumper stickers at my house, and they all say, don't California my Wyoming. But the truth is, every person that I have met that has moved here from California, they all have the same story, that we, we left California because of the high taxes and what was happening to us. And thank God we live in a place like Wyoming now. And you guys are headed in the right, in the wrong direction, by the way. And, you know, they... Every one of them has told me, you tell me what, what we can do to help. You don't live in my neighborhood. Well, your neighborhood is interesting. It is, but let's not go there right now. So, guys, thank you for joining me today. Keep me updated on anything that happens out of committee or any caterwauling op-eds. Thanks for your work, David. Yeah, Thanks thank for you for all on. you do, Here, here, you've done some excellent work. And thank you can you. also go to the Ramble Room. And there's yeah, good work. Yeah, definitely go to Ken's show, The Ramble Room, too, since we're sitting in his house. <laughs> you you got to stop saying that because eventually they're going to target us. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That'll do it for today's installment of the program. Have a good rest of your weekend, and we'll talk again on Monday. But for now... From the base of the Bighorns in Sheridan, Wyoming, I'm David Iverson, and this is the one and only Cowboy State Politics.